When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've not had a drink since Monday. You've not had a drink in. And I, I've, I've just asked for some beers, actually. You know, I mean, I don't usually drink, but... Uh... Do you not usually imbibe? <laughs> I'm, but I, I mean, you're looking at my phone because that's my list. Yeah, that's your list. Don't worry about um, it. I'm not being... I'm not, like, just if you, distracted. It does get... It can get boring, in which case, just check Twitter and shit. Don't worry. I, I won't I, know I'll, any I'll difference. Li- I might live tweet this. <laughs> just what is it that you want to do? You got it. Thank you for pressing play on this recommendation fest of premium festival music. Like being overcharged for artisanal sourdough and oat milk coffee, we hope you'll be happy indulging yourself as I, Sean Keaveney, eke out a cocktail of backstage stories, emotional life lessons and frankly outrageously good tips for a dream festival lineup. So whether you're about to jump on your commute, delay your next Zoom call or settle down for the evening, plug in, get comfy and enjoy the set. My friends, welcome. To the line. I remember being quite drunk, but I did not remember the interview at all. So we're backstage, then Robert Smith said, I'm like, I'm going to get us a photo of Robert Smith. The <laughs> thing I remember was looking at my bandmates' faces and like, please don't embarrass me. Yeah, it was bad. If there is such a thing as a quote-unquote, kill me now for using that phrase, festival band, my next guest is the frontman of one such. I've seen them do it, and they are wizards of the mass gathering, past masters of getting crowds bouncing with their euphoric, pulsating, trance-inducing sets. With his unit, he's made six albums with the seventh imminent life is yours. Let us lift the veil on the inner workings and the inspirations of the frontman of foals, Yanis Philippakis. Hello. Hello. Nice to be here with you, Sean, in this slightly shadowy room. It's a hot day in Putney, listeners, and I have winged my way from Fitzrovia to, to put... This is all a bit psychogeographical for, for London. It's been a long way, and I needed a piss for most of that journey. And I um, kindly found you somewhere to go, right? Oh, thanks very much. I don't know whose hat that was, but it was very, <laughs> very, very much needed. Um, we're, we're in the Foles rehearsal rooms here. Are these choppers going to be a problem? Is that because... Is the that... train. It's trains and choppers. There's all sorts going on. It's like they're filming Mission Impossible about this. It's a little bit. It's, it's, it's like um, Tom Cruise is going to arrive at any moment with his beat combo and do a, do a session. Yeah. I, it's not just uh, the famous foals who are here today. We've got... There's somebody else quite... Ashanti. Ashanti's here doing a yeah. bit of rehearsal. Very 90s exciting. legend. Isn't it early 2000s? Yeah. But yeah. Have you have you met her? Did you make her a cup of tea or anything? I, I didn't. She she walked through um, at, at some pace through <laughs> through us or ga- like the gaggle of us yeah. that were gathering outside with quite some quite large minders. Right. So I thought we would just leave her to it. And she was sort of she had a mask and stuff, but okay. definitely her. Um, thanks very much for having us here. And this is a, an interesting moment, of course, before the next campaign properly kicks off, isn't it? We were just talking about this before the tape was rolling. You know, you, you're already in that position where you, as the lead singer, there's quite a lot of pressure on those vocal cords, isn't there, Yanis? There are a lot of dates and a lot of things to do in front of you. Do you have a team of specialists, you know, tending to those cords at every moment? Because- I, I w- maybe I wouldn't be in the situation that I'm in <laughs> if I did, but no, I feel like I treat my voice with, I'm, I'm better at it now, nowadays, but I do also still treat it with a healthy amount of of disrespect, mm. which I think any, you know, I don't know this, like a singer in a band, you know, you don't want to be too precious about yeah. it. Um, particularly the kind of band that we're in. And also the, the show is disrespectful to the voice, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like we're, we're screaming and doing all sorts towards the end of, of the gigs. But I have seen a doctor and I've seen him a couple of times over the years. I had a problem a few years ago. It's quite, you know, um, but yeah, he shows me my vocal cords. So I go there and he sticks a camera down my throat. Wow, that's interesting. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird to see it. It's very, I mean, as you'd imagine, but it's quite anatomical. And quite it, visceral, it's, it's isn't it? It's quite unpleasant to look at. 
But yeah, they're a little bit knackered at the moment. But I'll, I'll be all right. I mean, they're, they're the size of a stamp. This is the thing. is People go around going, oh, your voice is a muscle, isn't it? You need to just get it up to scratch. But it's the size of a stamp. What, though. the vocal cord? Is it really that small? Like a sort yeah, of inch tiny, long sort tiny. of thing? They're like two tiny folds, a very thin, Never knew that. delicate... Um, Flash tissue, <laughs> I guess you'd say. Is what one of the things the doctors said, um, just before you go on to the next part of your campaign, talk to show, talk bollocks to Sean Keaveney for 90 minutes about fantasy festivals. Yeah, and as long as I warm up before, right. talking bollocks all day to the guys, <laughs> then it'll be fine. <laughs> That's a good start then. Well, I, I, you know, I'm going to sort of move it on so I don't tax it too much. Like a couple of things we need to do before we start. Yes. Is we need a geographical place. Oh, your fantasy festival. Okay. It could be anywhere. All right. I'll, I will just do it. The, the place that springs to mind would be in Athens. I would do it. <sighs> I'd do it in the center of Athens, in Monastiraki, right underneath the Acropolis and various other ancient buildings. Um, I wanted Foles to do a show there. There was some discussions about doing a free gig in, in this square, and I thought it'd be really cool and sort of... Um, Anyway, it didn't, didn't come together. So that's where we would do it. It's sort of, um, I imagine it being quite Floydian that, you know, yeah, a, bit, no, a, bit, that, a bit Pompeiish. Yes, exactly. Yeah, oil lamps and yeah, yeah kind of connecting with the ancients yeah. and pine cones everywhere. And yeah, but oh. uh, it didn't happen. It, do you think it will? Do you think you might make it happen? I mean, we're doing the fantasy festival there, but would you think you might make it happen for real one day? I mean, is it logistically a nightmare? Um, yeah, the, the specific thing that we were talking about doing, which was this sort of free show in the busiest intersection of Athens, might be a little bit of a nightmare. <laughs> and, and Greece is chaotic anyway, so like trying to get it organised. But but they do do gigs at like some of the temples. I know that like Florence um, and the Machine played at okay. this temple there last year. They've had un, I think Underworld have played. Like they get they get acts to play. Okay. So we could we could do something and. Weirdly, we've kind of we've only played in Greece once, and that was in 2008, and it sucked. We played in the sort of rump of Goggle Bordello's crowd. Like we played, <laughs> our, our stage was subsumed by the size of Goggle Bordello's really? crowd, and it was the it was the only show that my dad came to for about a decade. And he, he so, but for about the last decade until recently, my dad just that was his view yeah. of the band was that we just played to no one at the back of <laughs> at the back of a Balkan. <laughs> sort of hurdy-gurdy bands crowd. It was quite dispiriting. So we haven't been back, um, okay. but we, we're trying to go back. We'll come on to your your Greek lineage and your your early years and stuff a little bit later on, because right. that's that's always feckin' territory as well, but about your musical beginnings. But we also want a name, a name for the festival as well. Unless you've, something immediately springs to mind, what we usually do is we name the, the, the festival at the end. That would be helpful because yeah. I don't have anything anywhere no. near to hand. Nobody ever does. Good. Check one. Yeah. Testing. Is everybody ready yet? We good? Let the day begin. And so there we go. It begins with the dawn chorus, right? Because what we like to do, Yanis, mm. is it's not a traditional festival that stretches over two or three days. It's a perfect day. It starts at I the like dawn that. and it finishes late into the night. I like that. And That's so lovely. it's the, what you've got to try and work out is who that that first band is going to be mm. uh, when they hit the stage. It's going to be really early. Yes. But there's no tiredness. There's no fatigue involved. It's just to do with that, that moment. Like, it, it's the perfect version of each moment of the day right so it's it's but it's it's dawn chorus it's birds it's sort of light shimmering over the over the hills of athens right that's exactly it. okay so then the so i would have and i, I would actually absolutely love this i'd love to hear there's a specific era of mm. this musician yeah. so i'd love to hear arthur russell mm. in the era of world of echo and i'd like to just the first thing at the festival to hear is just him bowing the cello very delicately, and then his beautiful, enlivening, light voice just coming over, and he was just to be playing that era of Arthur Russell. So not as much as I love the disco stuff, not so much the Dinosaur Owl and the, the other bits. I would like a kind of very... I'd like him alone with a cello with minimal amplification. Because he's a, he's a very interesting artist, Arthur Russell, and I don't know that much about him, really. I remember that about... 12 or 13 years ago, I got a bit of an introduction to him 
via a compilation album that came out then. I think that's the one that calling out of context, maybe. Or yeah, it might have been that. Actually. There's a couple that came out around then. That because it's almost like the, the, there are two. In my mind, anyway, there are two sides to them. Like you said, there's a really experimental and or sort of electronic side, but then there's a real singer songwriter sort of era. Is yeah. that the kind of thing we're looking for here? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. World of Echo is like it's li- you know it's literally him a cello and then some echo units and delays and like. It's just, a th- it's like actually kind of ethereal and quite eerie and beautiful. And um, yeah, and obviously the, the, I think the thing about wanting to see him play is that there's so there's such little footage. There's no like full concert that I'm aware of that you can watch or yeah. hear. You know, it's there's so fragmentary. He's almost kind of invisible. Yeah. And there's, and there's, there's this, there's this sense of like, a lack of physical presence in the music as well. It all feels like it's made of air. Yeah. And I think being able to actually, the way I guess at the festival that I see it, it's like, you know, you're climbing up a hill or something and then you're following this, this music that's coming from Elysium or something from the, from the other world. And then you just, you stumble upon him and he's there just playing and it would be... Otherworldly. Yeah. He sort of reminds me a little bit of like a Nick Drake kind of character in a sense, in the same way. There's very little of Nick, really, is there? Yeah. It's not like you can go back and watch, like you say, tons of footage or listen to loads of live albums. It's it's quite sparing, isn't it? Yeah, so. and I think that there's there's something interesting. I mean, there's a magic to that. And, and it's also, I think, why maybe some of these artists where there is only such fragmentary artifact of them left that they ca- they still capture the imagination of people because there's a searching that's never resolved with 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 some of these musicians and and that would i think that you know the thing in some ways that we've lost now is that that will never happen again yeah you know they'll never be really it, it will be very very difficult to find an artist who can put out records and who can make enough music of of quality where somebody in the future can listen to it, but then there isn't all of the invasive proboscis like marketing package around yeah. it, you know, where, where, which is which is innately demystifying. I, I had a sixth sense from that that there's something important was happening, and I was concerned that it might be something to do with the audio, but it wasn't to do with the beer arriving, which is yes. more, if anything, more important. You're absolutely You've right. Got one too. Have I got one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Uh, yeah. That's go. really kind, and it's cold. It's cold as it's cold as. Very oh, gold. That's fucking yes. great. Leave all this on. Don't don't. Do you want one too? Don't, don't edit this out. Whatever you do, this is gold. Oh, let's get let's get a bottle of Sambuca down here. But um, there, that that's an interesting point that in the future, <laughs> it's like there's going to be too much of artists, isn't there? Not 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 enough. There's no, like you say, there there isn't going to be any mystique whatsoever. Yeah, it's going to be an information overload, and that's a kind of shame as well, really. It's, Unless it's, it's a very weird. calculated decision to not, you know, to not engage and to yeah. remain, you know, which is cool. I mean, there are people like Dean Blunt and, um, you know, there's, you know, I think the only music, musician currently that's got that type of mystique is maybe somebody like Jay Paul or, but there's very, you know, there's only very, there's very little, you know, he's never played a live show, never, there's not, yeah. there's no footage and stuff. And it's still, you know, part of the attraction of, yeah. of him, but it's definitely few and far between, isn't it? Well, until I record my solo album at Real World Studios, the same could probably be said about my oeuvre as well. You know, it's not enough. Not enough coverage. Not enough out there. First of all, I want to talk a bit about Oxford, actually. Funnily enough, Nat here, who's recording this for us, is an Oxford, Oxfordian, Oxfordian as well. And you were waxing lyrical about... Peppers, burgers, and G and D. Um, what what is it? What, there's such an unbelievable lineage of great music from Oxford, and I know people blithely say, "What's in the water?" But what do, do they? You, <laughs> what's in the beer? I think they yeah. say. But you know, everything: Radiohead, Supergrass. You know, you loads of other ones. Do, do you think there is something interesting about culturally about the place that brings it out? Or yeah, I think there is. Yeah, I mean, for for I think. Obviously, there's the university, so that's there. It's a presence. Its presence has an effect, obviously, on the city. Even I'm if not... you don't go, yeah, it's exactly. Still... There's some there's some relationship with it, whether it's a hostile one or whether one of you know whatever the relationship. There's an energy is, between, yeah. There is. There's a transfer of, of some type of energy from the university. Um, there's the atmosphere. There's the architecture that is, I think, 
you know, it, it, it probably is a bit of a, it's a bit of a dream world. You can walk around Oxford and think about, you know, you can lose yourself in the kind of history of it, in the possibility of it maybe, in the fact that there are great things that have happened there. It's not an oppressive environment by any means. So in, in the main. So I think that that, there's something kind of inspiring about it as a place. And the other thing I think is it is size. You know, it's not big. And if you compare Oxford to other cities of the same size, there's certainly not as much, they're often not as multicultural, Not there's not as much culture, yeah. clashes of culture, different students coming through from all parts of the world. There's theatre. There, there's, there's a lot of cultural life that is in proximity and very easy yeah. for, in the main to access in a way where if you go to an equivalent city of a similar population, there's less dynamic ingredients being shook up there. That's, I've not thought about that. Yeah. It's like, like you would expect it from a place as big as London, but there's an unbelievable thoroughfare of cultures going through a pretty small place. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm an example. I mean, like my parents, you know, an example, like why, why did they live in Oxford? It's like my mum's from South Africa. My dad's from Greece, you know, and, and all of my mum's friends would be from all over the world and they'd have different disciplines and one would be an artist and one might be an academic and somebody else might be a gardener. And that would, it's quite... Yeah. Um, an exchange of different yeah. ideas and culture. To come on to that a bit, because you didn't, you spend your first... I'm not going to get totally Desert Island Discs on this, but you spent your first four years in Greece, I think, didn't yes. you? Yes. And, and your mum's sort of part Ukrainian as well, isn't she? Which is obviously... So that's yeah. been like a bit sort of, I think there's a Wikipedia, there's like a... Um, <laughs> well, obviously, I only so, use Wikipedia, so if, so if that's wrong, I'm screwed. It go, it, it's been, I've been, it's been coming up quite a bit, the Ukrainian thing, but um, so my my mum's uh, heritage is like, she's Jew, you know, she's Jewish and our, our family from... They they left basically that part of the world to so the Ukraine and what's now Belarus uh, in in around nineteen twelve. They went see, yeah. to South Africa. So it's in the lineage. It's in the lineage, yeah. yeah but my mum is is mm. not Ukrainian, if you know what I mean. But we have yeah, we've got like Jewish heritage, yeah. Ashkenazi roots from that part of the world. Um and and of course you shot two AM, the video of two AM, which is by the way, check it out on the YouTubes or wherever you get your videos. It's an amazing video. Shot in in what looks like a colossal warehouse. It's like a sort of multicolored maze with lots of incredible dancing going on and stuff. But that was shot in Kiev just before yeah. the invasion. So, um, and I know you've talked a lot about that, but it, it it must have been a pretty traumatic thing to have met all these people on this shoot and and then the thing to happen to happen. Yeah, it was it was strange because like we talked to um, Tani's the director, Tani Marino, and she's um amazing young director. I met her in London. It was a fun video. You know, it wasn't like we've made other videos where there's like heaviness to it. And, um, but this was just, you know, fun. Like you're saying, it's colorful. It's full of choreography. And um, we discussed it. I think even before there was a kind of troop buildup going on with the Russians, you know, on the border. Yeah. And then when we actually put in the dates, there was a discussion, you know, with between us and, and the people involved in the Ukraine about the video. And with Tanu, and there wasn't any. I think that the view was that it was sort of saber rattling, that there wasn't yeah. going to be some. So we went ahead, we did, you know, we made the video, we had a great time. We went out after the shoot, we went to some good bars. You know, the whole day was in super, Kiev as yeah, well. In yeah, in Kiev, yeah. Uh, super joyous. You know, everyone on the set was amazing. And then, yeah, you know, shortly after, it's like the video was finished and then and then the discussion, as in I was texting Tanu and was just like, you know, are people safe? Is the choreographer, you know, what are the, what's the choreographer doing? Is her, her Tanu's partner um, was the director of photography and it's like, you know, are, are people considering fighting or who's staying there? To f and, and it went from just being like a totally artistic project to something that was, you know, brutalized yeah. by. And I think just in, yeah, it's, it's definitely been quite a surreal process incredible thing in the space of just a few weeks isn't it yeah and some of the people involved in the video now are, are now in london um and have made it to london the choreographer uh speaks to her occasionally and she's now in london you know looking for looking for work and trying to re rebuild like literally rebuild her life it's just yeah and to think the thing that i think about is the bar that we went to and how it was just full of young people everyone was partying having a great time and there was like, I, I've been, to, I'd been, I went to Kiev when I was 18. You went backpacking, didn't you? Yeah, I, I did. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and honestly, you know, the, the, the trajectory of 
when I went, it was pretty old school. It was like, it still felt quite Soviet in many yeah. ways. It didn't feel open to tourism. It was quite, it was quite a he- hectic trip for me generally. And then, to, and we've been back progressively over the years. We've shot other videos then to see how the country's progressed. And then to realize that that's all now yeah. just gone. I mean, that's just been dismantled and brutalized and, de- and destroyed in what, in 90 days? Yeah. It's like that. It's unbelievable. That, yeah. One madman can do that in 90 yeah. days. It's terrifying. Um, well, we we returned to the As Yet Unnamed Festival. Yeah. And we have had a wonderful dawn experience just as that that beautiful part of the morning opens up and Arthur Russell's there, otherworldly with his cello. But we have to think about who we're going to put on next. At what time of day uh, is it now, Sean? I would say, I'm going to be quite prescriptive here and I'm going to say, you've got to let them pack down a bit. Pack up. I'd say about <laughs> half yeah. 10, 11 o'clock. Is there, also, is there only one stage? Well, yeah, but no, you see, I, I immediately regret saying that because we can use magic. So that, none of that matters. We can snap our fingers and everything changes. Wow. So, you know, mid-morning, who's your next act going to be? Um, mid-morning, I would have, I'd have John Coltrane. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're going to build, I feel like the day is going to build, right? It's gonna, we're going to start off uh, with music of... You know, no distortion pedals before noon, right? And no expletives. I think that's the name. That's got to be the name of the festival, really. No distortion pedals before noon. Um, I know what you mean. It's quite meditative to start. You still start, and then yeah. we, then it's going to build. So yeah. um, I think we're going to yeah go for John Coltrane. But um, the, what we're going to see because it's magic is we're going to see the recording session for Love Supreme. Oh wow! And and I think that the stage should be exactly as it would have been in the studio. So it's almost like you know the the Dre. Um, uh, Super Bowl performance recently where he was like in the studio, you know, they okay. built the I studio did not see around. that. Did oh, he do also, that? Yeah, they kind of built the studio around him and he's on the faders. Okay, that's um, kind of like, cool. Yeah, I'd like to kind of like build build the studio. Actually, yeah, anyway. What is it about this particular record and, uh, and the, you know, the, the people who are playing on it that makes you want to see it in such detail? I mean, it's just a record that it's like, it's got, I mean, I love it just as a musical experience. It's it's such a canonized record now mm. that it's that thing. It's being able to sort of lift up the veil and, and actually watch how what the conversations were around the takes. You know, I, in my mind, you'd be able to you'd you'd be there for the kind of for the you know the the nattering in between and the corrections and like the retakes if there were any and stuff like that. I'd like to see it. I'd like to to nerd out on it and to just to, and to be of that era where also when they were making the record, the record didn't exist. You know, that, yeah. I, I like to think about that with like records like Kind of Blue, for example, or Blue, Joan, you know, those iconic records that have come out that we've, we've all experienced, or for, in the main, we've experienced them as having been out. Yeah. And we inherit them as like these artifacts of culture. It's like, right? the, like Mount Everest. It's like it's always yeah. existed, but it hasn't always existed. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So it's like watching Everest getting <laughs> created. Yeah. Which would be which would be cool. I just like the idea that they they might not have known how the ramifications of the record, and they're just talking about it like another record. But then it becomes like a huge milestone in in, in music and in culture for the 20th century. I think it'd be cool to just be like, a f- it's it's getting to be the fly on the wall, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I remember buying Love Supreme on CD when I was like a you know like a young guitarist, and I remember reading in a guitar magazine like. Look, you gotta, you gotta listen to Coltrane, and you gotta try and play the leads, <laughs> the guitar of the culture. And I'm like, and that's me with my pentatonic scale, you yeah, know, I'm, bumbling I'm, along. I'm still very, very much affixed to the pentatonic. <laughs> okay, to this day. it's not just me then. No. So I was going to ask that. Like, so have you always had a predilection for the more complex jazz as a listener, or when no, did that not really, about? no, not at all. I mean, I, I'm no, I feel like my my jazz knowledge is pretty. Pretty, but you know, I like Love Supreme, Kind of Blue. It's like mm. quite. I'm I'm into the big blockbuster, yeah. <laughs> blockbuster jazz. I'd loved Kind of Blue. I had my mum had it on cassette, and I'd borrowed it. And I actually, I'd heard bits of it on. They made like a Jean Michel Basquiat movie mm. where Bo, uh, Bowie plays Warhol in it. And the movie's like a bit patchy, but I, but I loved it, and I was watching that, and that's what got me into listening to Kind of Blue. And then I went up to a gig in Leeds. There was this amazing kind of scene of like DIY bands in Leeds, all centered around this postcode called, which was LS6. And a lot of us in Oxford were influenced by what was going up on up north. This is a bit of a tangent. But what just kind of bands me. Would, would you being influenced by at that time then? What were 
Um, a band called Bilge Pump, um, a band called Polaris that kind of were around then. There's was this scene- when you were like um, Throat Locust or something like um, that? Is this before that, just after that? <laughs> I like the way you just like, that was, that was good, that was good. Um, no, this was after, so I was in a band okay. called like, Ed, well, I was in a band called Elizabeth that became a band called Edmund Fitzgerald mm. that was quite techy, like mathy stuff. Yeah. I went up to Leeds and I saw this band called Lords who were made up of some guys from Nottingham who whose other bands I loved. And there's this all dayer um, in Leeds and Lords played like Love Supreme, but like on guitars and stuff. God. And it was just like, I just remember just the, the main riff, you know, the main motif on, yeah. And it was just, um, yeah, it just kind of stuck with me. So then I got into it through watching a, like a hardcore band player, basically. Wow. Yeah, it was cool. So that's interesting. And we're, we're kind of watching them create the record on stage at half past 11. It's early, Athens. it's early, yeah, it's early. That's an incredible it? thought. Yeah, it's an incredible thought. Yeah, it's really brilliant. Yeah. yeah. I just, and they got some Savlakis there on the rider. They're going to hit some Savlaki up. Well, ah, well, okay. Well, let me just park that idea for a moment because after the after the next band, we're going to have to talk about lunch. Okay. And then we're going to have to talk very seriously about carbohydrates. Just to talk, just to bring it to the, the like the now for a moment, like. Obviously, everything not saved will be lost, parts one and two. It, it, from what I've read and from looking at the lyrics and listening to the records, seeming to be records of, that reflect that idea of climate terror and the terror of modern life, you know, confusion, anxiety, impermanence. We'll come on to what the the new record, which seems like the opposite of that. But do you, do you think that everyone's mental health has, is suffering partly due to these sort of massive global horrors that are beyond our control, especially younger people. Yeah, I'm, I, I would, I'd agree with that. I mean, I think, um, I think even without the big, like, r- the really huge, like, doom turrets that are there, r- even without those, I think that um, the way our the way our life is set up, our lives are set up, particularly in the West. Mm. Should we call it like the West in a modern capitalist mm. society that's like. You know that 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 prioritizes the individual. I think that there's loads of ingredients in that recipe to to cause mental health issues anyway, which we don't need. You know, we don't need to necessarily get into in depth. But I think um, don't know if we're really meant to be living the way yeah. that we live. So on a basic thing, and then when you add in like a kind of existential threat, mm. you know, like and and a very real one, and that's sort of provable by science. It's not just kind of like it's not some sort of fire and brimstone, mm. far away prophecy, you know, it, it's actually something that is like quite tangible, then it's, it, that, that is definitely yeah. going to be an issue, isn't it? I mean, it's like, and it, and it is. I mean, it, it's, it's obviously we, as people, we have a way of, you know, not, not engaging with those thoughts, but subliminally, probably in the background, there is just this kind of hum of, if not anxiety, then dread or, you know, why wouldn't there be if you're told that, you know that the, the planet is in some way going to be, or large parts of it are going to be uninhabitable in within, like if not our lifetimes and our children's. Yeah. It's not even, it's not even a hundred years away. You know, it's, it's pretty, like, it's pretty so close. You can taste it now, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But when have you always had a sort of a predisposition? Do you think to 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 a slightly doomier outlook? You know, you've Definitely. talked about it quite a lot that you were a bit of a troubled teen. You, I'm doomy. I'm I'm real doomy. Yeah. But was that always the case? I mean, I think people yeah, would probably I'm not, say- you know, I'm, I definitely would describe, you know, growing up, like I was anxious, quite difficult to be around, quite, you know, struggled with depression and definitely was like aggressive. Um, just not, you know, definitely not, I'm not that sunny a character, um, I think, in my core. But over the years, recently, you know, I've got a good relationship in my life. There's some, There's some things that have definitely made me more pleasant to being around and, and have made my outlook, at least in my personal sphere, you know, I think that I, I think I've become a better person over the last years. Do you, do you sometimes wonder what would have happened to, I'm, I'm, I'm saying like inside the actor's studio now yeah, we're getting or something, deep. you know, uh, we'll get back to the, get back <laughs> to the sets in a minute, but 
do you wonder what would have happened to young Yanis if you hadn't found music, if you hadn't found bands and stuff? Because was there a moment at which it could have gone pretty wrong for you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's hard to know definitely because maybe something else would have acted as a saviour. But but with but music was definitely something that kind of pulled me out of a destructive uh, path, you know? You know, I think one good, really good thing for me was at a, at a pretty crucial age, I kind of discovered like bands um, and then also some writers that were, you know, being honest, they were all, they were all fuck ups. Like everyone that I grew up admiring were, were like, you know, it was the beats, you know, where yeah. Burroughs shot his wife, he's on heroin. Yeah. It's like all sorts is going on. And it makes you go like, these guys made, they made stuff yeah. as well. So it was kind of, yeah, and made me think like, oh, actually, because my 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 kind of reference point was with people in Oxford who, you know, their, their laces were tied quite tight. And so being able to find role models, if you, if you will, or at least, you know, yeah, I'd say role models in yeah. some way to be like, oh, actually, like th- this is this this isn't that unusual that I'm a bit of a terror. Yeah. And actually, a lot of this energy can be channeled into something creative. That was definitely yeah. a lifesaver. Yeah. Well, thank God. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, the way things have turned out. Um, um, I, I like, yeah, I like <laughs> the furrowed brow with which you're saying that. It's good. <laughs> well, I mean, if had it not, then we wouldn't have spent that really exciting afternoon in a tent at Glastonbury, 2008, filming really stupid inserts for the BBC website. It's one of the one of my first. My memories of being a broadcaster at Glastonbury. Was it early feet? Was it in? Oh, was it at Glastonbury? It, it yeah. was Glastonbury, yeah. two thousand and eight, in a tent. Also, you we, and Jimmy. We were sort of crunched up in there. I remember that the tent was of, ex, of exceedingly low yeah. aspect, comedically like, low. Yeah, it was comedic. I look back on it now with great shame. I think it's the only right word to yeah. use. It was. It was like back in the day when you had Everything to try had to and do kooky. wacky content. Yeah. Uh, you know, I remember doing a doing a shot where I was sitting on a portaloo wearing a white a white cap. You know yeah. that kind of stuff. And George Lamb sort of slapping you <laughs> with a fish. <laughs> oh, George! Oh, we miss him every day. That's probably him coming in on the tube now. Right here we go. The anticipation is immense. You look to your left. It's too late to go to the bar. You look to your right. You don't need the loo anyway. You look over your shoulder. 50,000 strong. Look at that lot. The lineups put you in prime position. One epic shot for Instagram. And while we have you captivated, poised, ready, phone out, why not quickly jump back into your podcast platform and follow us? Go on, boom, one click. Don't miss out on the next episode of my beautiful podcast. How does that sound? Thought so. So, what an unbelievable start to any festival. We're in Athens. Yeah. Just by the way, sorry to, uh, just to paint the picture because I'm not a very visual person. Is it like on a hill somewhere? There's a hill in Athens that's close to Acropolis, but it's still very central and it's called, it's actually almost sounds like my surname, but it's the Philopapu Hill, right? So you've got Philippousis, Philippakis and Philippapu Hill. And that, I think I'd do it there because it's sort of, it's got the old olive trees, it's got Mm. some pines, it's bits of marble. Anyway, it's nice. And we've had Arthur Russell with his cello, if I John Train, doing the recording of of Love Supreme in front of us, mm-hmm. right? So it's going to be difficult to to match that or to surpass it. Yeah. But who are we going to put on next? I think. Um, see, now this is where I do actually need to start cutting the list down, don't I? Because we've been talking. Or, or we can, or we can just throw some people in collaborations. Yeah. So maybe we should do that. So we do. Um, I think I'd like to have. Somebody set off a klaxon for some reason. We don't know. <laughs> I think it's an angle. No, the World Cup doesn't start till December. It's a vuvuzela. That's it, a vuvuzela. Yeah, Jim, but that word was everywhere for yeah. that World Cup, and then never heard it again. No, no, no you never heard it again. Yeah, yeah. I bet somebody, some poor fucker's got a garage full of vuvuzelas, haven't they? They can't get rid of them. Yeah, now. yeah. He bought them in bulk to try and shift them. Think you'd be fad. All right, let's just have you know, let's have James. Right, we'll do. We'll, we'll knock three off the list and one yeah. go. So I'd like to have Prince, Purple Rain era. <laughs> With James Brown. Oh. And there, there is actually that amazing footage of James Brown and Prince at some charity gig, isn't there? I've but never seen But also Cab that. Calloway. Um, 
doing Minnie the Moocher. So all, uh, how about all three? Yeah, they do. That's great. Yeah, they go Cab Calloway, James Brown and Prince sharing the stage for a couple of numbers. So like Prince is your main guy. For me, he's the main, yeah. Because there's quite a lot of Prince in this, In I think, in the new record. Is that fair to say, do you think? Yeah. Do you think it's quite, I mean, not just in this record, in some of the other ones, but like in Life Is Yours, there's specifically in some of the guitar parts, it feels like there's the spirit of Prince is alive. Is that what you, one of the things that you quite enjoy putting in there? Yes, yeah, definitely. It was something that some of the producers encouraged. You know, like I feel like sometimes the way I play guitar would be is close to to some funk. Mm. There's like funk aspects to it, but I've probably always shied away or or not had the, the dexterity to really go for it. And some of the producers we worked with on on this record were like, I do it like that, and then it, and I was like, oh, that sounds like Prince. That's how you do it. Uh, yeah, and so they they've sort of drawn it out of you a little bit. Yeah, or, or like for yeah foregrounded it or something maybe more. But um, I think yeah the the emphasis on grooves and like making sure the groove is right and then the space as well. I think there's more space on some of these songs on Life Is Yours where Prince has that sense of really keeping the songs open. Yeah, and then so the little touches of guitar really hit you, whereas before. Those t- those touches of guitar might have been in some of our songs, but there'll be another hundred tracks of a load of other gubbins yeah. going on. So yeah. this time we've we've cleaned it out because you know we've lost some members, so we're not we're cleaning out the band personnel wise and also sonically. <laughs> that's where the space comes in quite quite seriously. Well, that's it. I mean, that's for like Walter and Edwin, of course, have gone their separate ways from you down to a three piece. So is that one of the things that naturally happens? It's that you think, Christ, okay got all this space to fill do we have to fill it all is that one of the thoughts that you have really yeah or that or or isn't this grace like great we've got loads of space you know because i think if you've got five people playing instruments they're going to play their instruments they all want to be on the record on every song as well that your your go-to as a musician is i'm going to play my instrument on this song all the way through this song So then it's always about like, you know, fighting that and subtracting that natural inclination. Whereas if you have less people, you've got more legroom. You're at the front of the boat, you know, you're at the front of the plane. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I think that a lot about bands. I've, I've, I've got a terrible part of my personality, which means that I get worried for people. Like I, are, you, I, are you worried about us? I get, worried, I get stressed out about members of bands who don't get featured enough on the record you know I remember, uh, yeah is that a real concern honestly like even when i was a kid and i would listen to like i want to break free by queen and i'd think brian's not got a lot to do on this has he <laughs> and then i'd be like is he all right about it but that's that encapsulates what you're saying really which is you're right it's or the sax player in spandau ballet christ almighty so we've got to have sax on every bloody yeah. song have we because we otherwise what are we paying him for yeah but in a sense, this is what you're talking about. It is, yeah. Who who produced this record with you? So we had we had different producers on different songs and different producers on the same song. So we had um, Dan Carey, who's an amazing producer in South London. You know, he's he's making so many great records. He's kind of almost almost. I was going to say single handed, but I mean he he is a huge catalyst for what's going on. All the great kind of post-punk guitar music that's coming out of out of London and out of the UK. Like, he's he's at the centre of a lot of that. So that was awesome to work with him. Um, and he's mad. Is he? Oh, like a yeah, mad he's, professor. he's mad and I love him and he's just, he's he's so inspiring and he's challenging. And Is and he the kind of, of producer that is an ideas producer, like an Eno type person who's like, think about this differently. Yes. Let's come at this from a different angle. And Yeah, he wanted us as a band and this is to do with us being a three-piece now. Because I, I, I've known him for a while. And when, when we started talking about this record, I said, you know, we've, we're a three-piece now. Because he, he obviously would think about us as a five-piece. Um, and he said, oh, you're right. You know, he thought about it. He's like, well, I want you to come to the studio. And I want you to interact with this, 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 this natural rhythmic machine I'm going to build you. I mean, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but essentially he wanted the three of us to engage with this huge modular wall of equipment that he has. Um, but the fascinating thing about what he does is that he kind of, or at least with us, he rec- he was recording us live and feeding what we were doing through this machine and spitting it back out to us. So we would be engaging with some version of what we were doing, but back through the machine, if that makes sense. Christ. I mean, you, it, it could get quite techy, but, but it's basically... You know, it was kind of incredible because he, we're talking about space. I mean, he, in main, many ways, he filled a lot of the space, but he filled it in a way that that helped us yeah. and that was 
like um, meeting a kind of a parallel universe version of yourself that he's kind of manipulating. And the other great thing about Dan is he goes like, right, just start, you know, just start playing the track you're going to play. So you start just, and you're just, you know, you're not really aware that you're recording and he's setting moving mics. And then all of a sudden you realize that the guitar you're playing, he's got some other speakers set up and he's got a mic and it's going through his big wall of sequences and, and, and synthesizers and bits of gear. Um, and, and I'm like, I'm hearing what I'm doing coming back and he's manipulating it back at me. And it's all being, it's all coming off Jack's kick drum, which yeah. is live. And the whole thing is just, I mean, it's just super exciting. And then you stop and, you, and he's like, cool, we got it. And they're like, wicked, we can go to the pub. <laughs> and then he has to edit all. You know. Dan's going to be the busiest guy in town once everybody hears this. I know. I mean, he only does it for us, see? Yeah. We're, we're, with Fontaines and people, it's just one take, straight to tape. I'm sorry, guys. It's a completely sorry. different yeah, method no for, you. for you. No machine for you. No machine for you. But I've listened. I've heard that in your music for for quite a long time now. You know, going back, what I enjoy, especially as an old guy. I mean, I'm a hoary old rocker who I like to hear my drums and my guitars and my bass. I like to know where I am. However, what you guys do is lovely, and I think there are other like sort of contemporaries of yours, like people, I would say people like Everything, Everything, or people like 1975 or, or people like that, who seem to effortlessly bring together a hip-hop sound, a pop sound, a rock sound, and it's all... Totally it's just a big casserole of sound. Yes. Yeah, you know what I mean? Or the, the you know, yeah. is that part of what you're going for? Because I'm imagining that you, you were listening to all that stuff when you were growing up. Is that part of the thing, wanting to create something that's all of those things? In a yeah, way? I think also uh, like genre, like tribal genre affiliation mm. type stuff is probably less, has less of a hold on our imagination than it, than it, where we're the same band, but in the past. You know, something's happened obviously where those types of affiliations or thinking about music just aren't as relevant. So then you think, oh yeah, I can, I'm going to take a bit of that and I'm going to, I want to have a bit of this and it just becomes a much, um, there are no fences up in the, it's in freer, the playground isn't anymore. It? Yeah, yeah, it's free. And the, and the band, you know, with Fall specifically, it kind of started as a attempt to try and, you know, write kind of like tech, you know, we, we were really into techno mm. and we were just like, let's just, let's take all of the distortion, all kind of all of the rock out of the guitar playing at the beginning and, met, and that's why that's why how antidotes was made yeah. it was just like we just want this to be really dry and like take those distortion pedals out yeah exactly really dry and just play it like like we're in cologne and we're like we're a little minimal techno mm. that was so the so even from the beginning the, the the idea was to not be a rock band but then funnily enough we kind of became a rock band well uh it's rocking, it's raving, it's doing all the things at once, isn't yeah. it? So, and to talk about albums and talk, we must talk about the new album, Life Is Yours, which it it does feel like, pardon the pun, an antidote. Do you think you've manifested the joy back in your life with this with this record? Is it is it making you feel joyful? Um, yeah, I mean, the shows have been amazing. Like the shows have felt it felt amazing. Like it felt like in in all of that respect, I'd say yeah, the manifesting is there. You know, in other ways, I think, like we were saying, we touched on it earlier, like that, you know, it's obviously as relieved as we all are that the pandemic is seemingly over in certain ways. Um, obviously, it's it's hard to be totally, you know. There's lots, an undertow there, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. There's like lots of darkness there. But in terms of the shows, the, the music is, I think, that, you know, some of it was a personal desire to write songs that would be like that would allow us to access that joy. And that's what the songs is doing because the, re the record before was, you know, it was just a darker proposition and it was heavier musically. And I think we wanted to react against that and having, we would have done that probably anyway. And then when the pandemic hit and there was no touring, you know, we were craving playing live. So we wanted to make music that would be there to meet the, you know, the re-emerging world yeah. in some ways. If the that need sense. that everybody's got. To shake their ass, basically. You know, that is a much better way of putting it. It sort of pinballs between youthful nostalgia for hedonism and fun, but also there's loneliness in there, isn't there? It, it, like in 2am, I don't want to go home alone again. Is that is that a bit like what it's like being in a band when it comes down to it? Like, it, it's, it's, it's a both great time. things. Yeah, exactly. It's both things, yeah. The record in general is, to, is, is dealing with, or like, it, it's to do with... Um, 
yeah, nightlife, communality, like nights out, also being in beautiful places. You know, I've never, you know, you can sometimes feel super lonely on the beach, you know, or like you, it's somewhere where you're met. Often the, the nights when you're meant to be having the best time or the places where you're meant to be um, at your happiest is where strangely there's this, this kernel of like the opposite that pops out. And I, I, and I quite like, I mean, I kind of like that. Like I, I feel like that, especially for songwriting, like all of that, that, that moment is the kind of, I don't know, there's something in that. Because you could be on the other side of the world missing somebody. You yeah. could be witnessing an incredible sunset, but you could be missing the person you want to share yeah. it with. Or, or yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, like I find, um, yeah, and and that that's that's especially heightened on tour because you're never sleeping and you're drinking the whole time and 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 you know and you're stuck in a bus with a bunch of sweaty boys. And um, too fewer now, though. I mean, there's only you know. Well, actually, that's not the case. There are less it? of us in the bus now. That is yeah. true, <laughs> it, and that's that is good. It's less socks, um, it's like random socks. How are you doing out there? Are you ready for the next act of the day? People, make some noise! We're going to move on to yes. the, the penultimate in a moment. So it is for you told me that the for, format had gone to... Gone to shit. Gone to... Yeah, it's gone Stephen to shit. Wilson's fault, to be honest. So I've got two more. You've got two more slots, right? right so cool. before we get to them, very quickly, my Heat magazine question, which is, whilst we're talking about things like fun and hedonism, what is the drunkest you have been with a famous person? Um, the story that you you can tell, I mean, you know. I'm sure. Yeah, I've been pretty bad with some people. I'm trying to remember. I mean, I was quite bad with Robert Smith recently. Wow, that's um, a good name. So, so this is, obviously, this is relative, but... I've been I've been bad with a couple of people, but <laughs> it actually happened a couple of years ago. We were at the we were at an awards show, Enemy Awards, which is famously sloppy. Yeah, and um, I think that I'd quit smoking, um, and like I was drinking quickly. You know, I was like really putting them away, and I get kind of nervous at those things mm. anyway. Like I feel, like, I think probably most people do, but. Mm. You know, I don't feel at ease. And there's free drink. Yes, usually. there's tons of free mm. drink. Yeah, and then you're like, you know, I think we were up for something. So it's like, oh god, I've got to get out there. What are we going to say if we win something? And if you, you know, I don't know. There's that all that stuff. It's just that noise. Anyway, so I got battered. Basically, got <laughs> super drunk, and then we did win something. We went up there, and um, I gave an interview that I think has been sort of scorched, like it's been <laughs> taken out. Um, there was video, but. And I didn't remember this until the next day, but I was like, I was dancing in it. I sang all sorts of stuff. And the but the, the thing I remember was looking at like some of the my bandmates' faces and like, <laughs> you know, I was performing for the for the interview and for the interview and for the camera. And then but looking over and just kind of getting these these mortified looks. But it was mid-flow, you know, no one could stop me. Like I was just charged. And I was going. And then we had to do a photo right after. So we're backstage there where they do, they're doing all the stuff at the awards. And Robert Smith then, I'm like, he's doing photos and I'm refusing to leave the, the room in order to get a photo of Robert Smith. And I just remember at one point, Edwin, who um, has now left the band. Not unrelated, connected. Yeah, yeah. unrelated. We've just been like, please don't embarrass me in front of Robert Smith. Please don't embarrass me. I'm like, I'm going to get us a photo of Robert Smith. And then I, anyway, I managed, we did get a photo of okay. but I was there and I was steaming and it wasn't, it wasn't good. And then the next day I woke up um, and one of the things that I'd, I was just like, I remembered being quite drunk, but I did not remember the interview at all. And somebody in the band had to be like, oh yeah, do you remember you were, you know, you, you were showing off like dance moves in it and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> that was and, amazing. Yeah, it was bad. And then I saw, um, I apologised to Robert Smith. Um, recently oh uh, so you yeah. got to do that that's quite good yeah you see him again sort of thing yeah I, I, it was actually kind I of the scene of the crime he's I lovely he's lovely wasn't he he's so nice he's, he's responsible for just about the best of one of the most famous recent clips on the internet isn't he at the at, at the, gram, at the, the Grammys, Grammys I think, or, the, or the Rock and Roll Hall of yeah, Fame he doesn't give a that's shit that's it and he's like you must be super excited to be here and get a Grammy not as excited as you love <laughs> yeah, it's like that's so, so crawly isn't it so you know good. what I mean whatever 
Yeah, um, so good. Well, thanks for, for answering that question so brilliantly and so candidly. I've got about a thousand of those. So I could, you know, I could out-embarrass you any day of the week. Um, but we should go to the sunset moment. Just before we go to the sunset moment, the penultimate time on the, the stage now, I just want to quickly ask about food at festivals. What would you put on at this festival? That I mean, was... it'd have to be... Well, actually, well, you're in, you're in, you're in, in Greece, Greece so maybe Lebanese. <laughs> just to really just a twist little it bit, a bit. Just a little bit better, isn't it? <laughs> Not the time. As much as I love Greek food, let's be honest. Do you think Lebanese is a little bit, edges it a little bit? I, I, I go, certainly travels better. As in, <laughs> I'd choose Lebanese in the UK anytime over okay. Greek. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to get a really great Greek restaurant, isn't it? It's, it's nigh on impossible, yeah. <laughs> I'd say, in, 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 you in this country. You saying that's good. I'm glad you've said that. Yeah. Okay. So sorry, that, sorry to... Well, yeah. No, but you, you, you know, that's, that's a fair let's point. Let's be honest. So we're going to have Lebanese food yeah. during the sunset moment. Where we, I mean, we've just had, and we, it's just sort of happened as well, Prince and James Brown with Cab Calloway. I just allowed that to pass by without virtually any mention, which is ridiculous. Just out of interest, what's your favourite James Brown era? Mine's the sort of 70s Black Power funk era myself when it gets super funk. What would you I, like I would go, uh, I'd go slightly earlier. Yeah. Yeah, I'd go kind of like... Yeah, funky drummer. Oh, yeah. I would just go the classic peak James Brown with with yeah controversy era Prince. So, so that's, gonna, that's that's just. I mean, in, if anything, I mean, you can't really top that, can you? Well, it's but, it's scorched earth policy now, isn't it? It's yeah. like now we've got a sunset moment. The sun's dipping behind the the big hill. You know, the shadows are incredible. The night is coming alive in Athens. Coming on after Prince. And James Brown and Cab Calloway. Who the hell is going to have to do that? Yeah, I know. The band I was going to pick is like a really like left field choice. So I might not do them, actually. <laughs> I was going I, to choose this band called Oxes, who are from Baltimore. And I and they kind of changed my life. And it was through... Oxes? Oxes, yeah. I heard them on, on the Peel show. But then... But now, but now after that... You've got a bit of um, festival curator lack of confidence now, haven't you? Because you're thinking, oh, Christ... Prince, James As much as Brown. I love Oxers, I don't know if they could top James Brown with Cab Calloway and Prince. Well, as I'm co-curating it with you, what, what I would, would suggest like is... Would you like to go there or... No. Well, what I think we... What we sometimes do in these situations is we have an ancillary tent. Okay, can we do ancillary? Yeah. Okay, so we've got Oxers doing their Peel session that right. changed my life on a Wednesday afternoon. Great. And then yeah. I think that we have Pixies, <sighs> Surfer Rosa, but, but obviously coming together with Nirvana. <laughs> Hang on, we're talking about late 80s, early 90s. That, yeah. How old do you think you were when you first started getting into that kind of well, stuff? Well, P- Pixies and Nirvana were like the thing that I got into. There was the first, it was my first, like, the first bit of music that was like mine that I loved. You know, like, before, I've got an older brother, he put me onto lots of music, but it was always like, oh, this is music my brother loves. Yeah. And my mum had good music taste and stuff, but... um. But Nirvana and Pixies was like, I remember finding out, I'm like, this is my shit. Yeah, I was like 12, 12, 13. I had a cousin that put me on to, there was a cassette that had Offspring, Smashed by the Offspring, amazing record. Yeah. And then the other side was um, Nevermind. And I got, and then I, so I kind of got more into Never, got, got more into Nirvana. And then, you know, I'm quite obsessive. So the moment I like something, I'll be like, I found out about Tad, Mud Honey, Alice in Chains, everyone Pixies. And then I went and bought Death to the Pixies on cassette um, and Surfer Rosa on the same day from H&B in Oxford. And once I heard the Pixies, I was like, this is so weird yeah. and amazing. And it just, and then I, st- and that's why I started playing guitar, basically. Joey Santiago in particular is a, you're right though. It's just that that word, it's, it is just fucking weird, isn't it? It's e- so Everything weird. about it. When, is- you a- when you actually break it down, like it's, his, you know, I mean, it's been talked about obviously to death, but like, yeah, I just think there was something about the shrillness of all of it, the the, the, the trebliness mm, yeah. of that. And I, and I think that I'm definitely attracted to trebly, high-pitched guitars and like high, not low. You know, as much as I love like a riff, there's something about that pixie sound that it, it taps into like my reptilian cortex. Yeah. Where I'm like, this is music that it, it vibrates with the deep part of my brain and it's to do with the high-pitched nature of it the screaming you know frank black scream is like i mean it it, it makes it, it it would make me withstand if i had that as a kind of motivational yeah. speaker 
I would withstand all types of torture. If I had Frank Black telling me I can get through it while screaming in the voice that he does Monkey Gone to Heaven. Oh, God, it's seven. Yeah, if I had that on loop, I could, I could, any, I, I'd, I'd be straight. I did a whole show on, uh, which was essentially based on great rock screams oh, that- recently. And uh, unfortunately, half a Heineken down, I already can't remember most of them. But there, but there are great proponents of it, and Black Francis is one, of course. He's one of the best. I think Kurt was one. I think that Dave is one. I think Dave Grohl mm-hmm. is, yeah. is is a pretty good... He's good, he's good, yeah. I don't know if he's quite... James Dean Bradfield's good. Yes, he's good. I think with Kurt's one, it's the... I mean, there's lots of great ones, but the one pinnacle, like, there's like, that moment in Where Did You Sleep Last Night? Unplugged, where he he hits that note towards the end and it just cracks. It's one of the great, and it's so exposed as well. It's one of the greatest single scream, I think, in 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 like recorded history, like in terms of musical history. Like there's that, there's a specific bit at the end of Unplugged where his voice goes and it's just like, oh man, that is it shivers every time. I think that I talked to Kay Tempest about that, and they were saying the same thing. I'm pretty sure it was Kay because. There's something about that that it it, it sort, of, sort of sits next to the blues great, funnily enough, Kurt Cobain's voice. It's a Lead Belly song, I think that, isn't it? It's a Lead Belly, but, yeah. But you're right, it, that's just otherworldly. That's that's speaking to a pain that we will never understand, hopefully, what, what's yeah. coming out of his soul. Mind you, when you do when you do a good, pretty good scream on Inhaler, I always think. Thanks. I really enjoy that. Yeah. That takes me there as well. Yeah. We could have, that's a whole nother tent, the rock screen tent. Yes. Um, have you ever met, for instance, any of the members? Have you ever met Pixies or have you ever toured yeah. with them or what's that been like? Yeah, um, it was pretty pretty mad actually because um, as you can tell, I was a big fan and I don't know how, my, my main dealing uh, was with Kim Deal. Um, so we when we were starting Foles or like early on, we got asked to do all tomorrow's parties. Mm. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a, we could talk about all tomorrow's parties. I mean, it's quite apt, I guess, with the festival thing. But so Kim Deal with the Breeders asked us to do all tomorrow's parties. Wow. I think, and then basically I, we became pals um, for a bit. And like, um, yeah, it was just mad. And we used to email each other quite a lot. <laughs> Um, and then I had this, I wanted to, um, when we were writing Total Life Forever, I had this idea that I wanted to get Kim to sing every note, basically, in, the, in you know, in, in her range, yeah. in scale, with like an ooh sound, e sound, like all the vowel, vowel sounds. And then I wanted to build um, the our album, Total Life Forever, out of ambient beds made out of Kim <laughs> Deal's voice in different keys. That's such a great idea. It sounds like it didn't, it came after a very long night to me, that that kind of idea. Was that a sober idea? I, I, you know, it might have been, yeah. Like, I mean, maybe not sober, but it was an idea that like, I definitely repeated more than once. I emailed, I think I emailed her about it. The fun, fun thing is I've got obviously all of our emails back and forth. I could probably look back, but I'm pretty sure I did talk to her about it. Was she up for it? I, I think... <laughs> She might have said yeah, but she was also far away, and you know. So yeah, um, and then yeah, I, yeah, hung out, hung out with um, Kim hell. a bit, yeah. But um, that's a little bit reminds me. Uh, I, I'm going to get this wrong, but it reminds me a bit of like how they how 10cc made. I'm not in love, you know, with the with yeah, the, the sort of back, the backing to that yeah. with the that singing was- the note and then extending the tape and then doing it into a chord it's that kind yeah, of thing that was it? the that was the vibe I, I, because the pixies were like my musical foundation i wanted to make the record out of like i wanted to sort of it, this is gonna sound weird but i wanted kim dill to be like the soil yeah okay and then the record to grow out of oh. it to, for it to mirror me learning how to be a musician out of the pixies wow. um so That's and then and then idea. the last email I got from Kim Deal ever was just something being like, "Can you explain MCPS to me?" Which for, for it's a super boring like <laughs> money music collection. I mean, I don't even understand it. So I was like, oh, "Sorry, Kim, I can't even explain it to you. I don't even know what the fuck it's about." I loop in my my accountant at this point. I don't know what yeah. I don't know what that. And then and then our correspondence <laughs> petered out shortly after that. Well, I tell you what, though, you reached some dizzying heights, though. Yeah. We, we shudder towards a climax here. Arthur we quiver, Russell. We quiver quiver, my buttocks quiver at the thought of what's going to finish yeah. us. Can we have a recap? Arthur Russell opens the Dawn Chorus 
eerie echoes of cello, John Coltrane, and and the Love Coltrane, the Love Supreme uh, band recording it in front of our eyes. That's mid morning in Athens, uh, and then it's Prince, James Brown, and Cab Calloway. We've got oxes in an ancillary tent, just tooling about, going nuts, whilst Pixies and Nirvana perform at the sunset moment. Right. So before we get to the headliner, I just want to cover off a couple of quick questions. Like, <laughs> stop it. Um, I think you first you, you're going to headline Latitude this year, aren't you? Yeah. And you, I think you did it almost ten years ago, like nine years ago. Yeah. What's the feeling like when you are a headliner? Is it is it like much more terrifying? Or well, much that, more that first time we headlined Latitude was 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 pretty 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 full on because I think we were quite nervous. Well, when we got the offer, the internal band chat was like no we can't we can't do that can we like we're just like no you know we were like we just we didn't think we were ready basically i was like we've only you know we got we're two we're no we're three albums out but um yeah we just weren't we were nervy about is it. that because you thought you, when you see a headliner at somewhere like glastonbury it's got a bit like hit after hit after hit yeah, kind I of think thing it was that and like also you know not not to be like you know when we when we started when we were that, that whole first album cycle for Foles and even into like Total Life Forever, we were we were still like quite am, like amateurish. I mean, in the sense of like our whole setup, like we didn't have, we, we routinely have big things go wrong on stage like all the time because we just weren't like set up. You know, we weren't a well-oiled we, machine yet. We weren't, we weren't like, and I think, you know, it's, it's weird looking at new bands of a, of, a, of a type now and they come out and it's just, it's like, Whoa. it's tight shit right from the get-go. Like, they got in-ears, there's, there's Melodyne on their voice out. You know, there's all sorts of mad <laughs> trickery and like, and in a way where we genuinely were kind of st- still, a, I was going to say a punk band, you know, I mean, that's going to probably piss certain people off. But like, we, we were shambolic, yeah, you know, okay, and we were yeah. disorganized quite deep into our career so when um you know when we, when there's an off like that it's like oh god we're gonna do it and it's just gonna be a nightmare isn't it because you know we're just gonna mess something up and yeah we don't have the songs and and like we we didn't know what we we're doing but I, that that was the period where we started to headline bigger our shows got bigger so then it then it closed the gap yeah you know if you're headlining ali pally then it's a maybe you get good pretty you get pretty quick. I mean, yeah, not that you weren't it, it good. it closes but, the gap, yeah. you know, than going, like, say, doing Brixton to a headline festival yeah. is a big, it's a different thing, isn't yeah. it? So anyway, but yeah, so we we were definitely quite nervous before then. And I remember, um, yeah, just being, it was full, full thrill, like, doing that, that first Latitude thing. And I remember coming off stage and just, I used to be quite disappointed after lots of shows a lot of the time when I was younger. Like, I just was quite, I was notorious at, like, being unhappy after the show so people would just avoid me and after because I'd be you know grumpy and furious about something or other that didn't really matter but after Latitude I remember just saying to people like I felt like I was like I had control of of an airplane at 35,000 feet I felt like I felt yeah felt elated such a buzz though yeah it was great to have that entire field just bouncing yeah it was awesome what an incredible thing to to experience it's never going to happen to me mind you i am playing latitude myself uh to we're a the same day slightly smaller cry i hope i'm not on when you're on for christ's sake it'll be a right mess we're clashing with harry styles on sunday that's gonna be a, oh yeah uh, at, the, at the big weekend thing that's gonna be a nightmare <laughs> that's gonna be the opposite <laughs> of what we've just discussed you need to get your um enormous trousers and, and blouses on because that's what I like to see. He's very, do, he yeah. looks delightful in those. He does, yeah. Um, so that's what it's like to be a headliner of a massive festival like this. But here we are at the headline point of the lineup. And, and Yanis, who is it going to be? Does it have to be a singular act? It does, yeah. No. Right. Okay, I'll, I'll do, I'll do Wu-Tang Clan doing 36 Chambers from start to finish, but with live orchestration performed by Steve Reich. Um, alongside Reza, like doing the samples, you've got Steve Reich with the musicians from 18 Musicians. What's, like, a, what's that, by the way? That's just my favorite piece of Steve okay. Reich. It's called 18 Music. It's called Music for 18 Musicians. Right. Sorry. Okay, but it, or Steve Reich's the, Steve Reich's the musical director yeah. of the backing track. Yeah. And then Wu Tang are doing 36 Chambers from start to finish. That's what I would like to see close the festival. I would, I would genuinely lose my mind if I got to see that what is the magic within that record because it's it, 
I, I, comes up again and again. I it imagine. does. It does come up again and again. It, it, just in my general conversations with musicians, anyway, of any stripe, and I, I'm 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 sort of late to the game with this kind of stuff. You know, I, I'm 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 sort of older and more akadaka. Akadaka, exactly. What's it? Hang on a minute. Where's the bloody bass here? But it's obvious that Thirty Six Chambers and Wu Tang are one of the most influential hip hop acts of all time, and this record is one of the most influential records. Yeah. Why? What is it? What was it for you that blew the doors open of your mind? So I think the record itself is amazing. I think it goes goes without saying. There's something in the production. There's something in the like in the imperfections of it, in the dirtiness of it, in the tinniness of it, the lyrics. But the thing I think that really is why, for me, like what really puts Wu-Tang into that place where they're, like you're saying, they kind of, they've managed to connect with across genres and across generations, across eras and countries is something to do with like, it's something bigger than just the record. It's like to do with the world around Wu-Tang. It's this, it's the mythology, it's the symbolism, it's the gang, it's the characters. Mm. It's both like comic strip and... It's almost like it's a soap opera as well, yeah, isn't it? There's is so many different characters. Yeah, exactly. It's equal like, to each other as well. Yeah, it's cult and cartoon. Yeah. And it, you're totally right. Soap, there's a massive soap, soap opera element to it. And it's and it's filmic, obviously. And it's and there's something just just in the kind of connection between Staten Island becoming it gets morphed into Shaolin, you know, and like it, it's the same reason why myths are impactful or or cartoons or yeah. mo- or certain type or superhero movies. Yeah, yeah. This idea of like Peter Parker becoming Spider-Man, like Method Man, it sounds like a superhero, doesn't yeah. it? It's like yeah, yeah. it's it's superhero. Um, narrative around records that are also just pump. I don't know. It's just a fu- it's a full it's a fully realized creative world that you can get into, and that record is them at their most potent, and it's like them at their rawest. It also, yeah, it just has it has a it has a punk roughness to it as well. I think lots of rock musicians like Wu Tang. Yeah, wow, is all I can say. Yet again, uh, we we've delivered an incredible lineup. Uh, courtesy of Yanis uh, here. We've got Arthur Russell, John Coltrane. You can watch the Love Supreme album being recorded at half past 11 on a hill in Athens. Prince, James Brown, Cab Calloway, Pixies and Nirvana, Oxys off to the side, and Wu-Tang doing 36 Chambers with Steve Reich as the MD. What an experience. Did you, have you enjoyed that? Yeah, absolutely. I, like, I'm, I'm, I'm actually grinning as you just, <laughs> as you just recited that. I'm just like, oh, I'd love to see that. I know. Now we've just got to make it. Oh, we can't. We've not yet done a name. We need to name the, I thought the we festival. Ha- I thought we had a name. No, but, no Distortion Before Noon. It's pretty good. Yeah. I quite like that, actually. Yeah. There aren't any others in the past. Also, it'll just get shortened to No Distortion, which is that, also That's fine. quite good as well, yeah. Yeah. A, a wonderful experience. Lovely to chat to you. Can't wait to see you guys in the flesh again. Uh, can't wait to see you headlining Last Year Festival. As you sit here, what are your feelings about the next few months? Is it pure excitement or is there a certain amount of terror at what you've got to do? You, you feel like at base camp of Everest? No, I feel I feel quite good. But I'm mainly just excited. Uh, just, you know, I'm going to look after my voice the next couple of weeks. I'm going to make sure I rehydrate yeah. after thoroughly draining last hour um, <laughs> no, I'm mainly just excited and just hope that um, it exceeds our expectations well I'm going to allow you now to rest your voice I'm going to ask you to just pop your clothes on the stool I'm going to give you a full lymph massage um, and give you two litres of water all of my lymphs all of the lymphs will be fully massaged Fantastic. it's all part of the service that we provide at the lineup. thank you for being our curator today thanks Dennis for having me Pakistan. thank you so much thanks for having me Thank you.